We're starting a brand new series today called True North. Uh, you may have seen the video I posted yesterday about this series of messages, but when my boys were little, I taught them how to use a compass and taught them how to use a map. Uh, we had access to some very wooded, hilly property and uh, with streams and ponds on it. And I took them and I said, okay, I went up ahead of time and my dad and I, and we buried some money at different places. And we put a dollar for each of them there and said, if you will use this map, if you will use your compass, there's a dollar for each of you. Well, they were successful. They were excited. And if you're wondering, how could you send your boys out small like that, 115 acres? We knew the property. They had whistles. They knew how to blow. There was whistles for help. And we had a great time. We really enjoyed it. But all week long, we used that as an illustration about how the Bible is our moral compass. It's a, it's a guide for our lives. A few years ago, I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I had gone downtown and got a cup of coffee and was looking at the downtown area after the meeting I had, was a part of, and I, I just stumbled into a bookstore, which if you know me, coffee and books, that's just a great way to spend the afternoon. It was snowing in Minneapolis, and I went in and I found a book by Bill George called True North, and I just scanned through the book real quickly, and it was one of those, I got to read this, I got to have this, but Bill George talked about how that your true north is your internal compass. It keeps you pointed to the purpose of your life, and this book, who has been a best-selling business book for business leaders by a man who is known for his integrity and his skill sets. I, some have said he was a successor to Warren Bennis and his influence among business people. But I found out that George was a Christian, that he had given his heart to Christ. And there was so much in the book I could relate to. And I thought one day I'm going to use that as a title for a series of messages. How do we find our true north? How do we discover the purpose for what God has created us for? Because each of us, every one of us in this room, every one of you watching today, or maybe you're watching later in the week, God has given us a unique voice. God has given you a voice for your, in life. God's given you a voice of influence. God's given you a voice that other people will listen to. I'm sometimes surprised by the people, and back before the pre-COVID days, when everyone felt free to invite someone to come to church with them, I was always surprised at the people I would meet that you invited, and I hope we get back to those days real soon. I'm comfortable inviting people to come and worship with us. They, they go everywhere else, so why not come to church, you know? And so I am... Um, was always thinking from time to time, I would have never met this person. I would have never engaged this person. It's because of your voice in their life that brought them to Woodland where they heard the voice of the Lord through the scriptures preached and they came to know Jesus Christ. And it just always would kind to just blow me away at those opportunities. You may not know the name of Pat Welch, but you know her voice. You may not even know who she is. And as a matter of fact, no one really knew who Pat Welch was. She was a voice uh, coach, and she had lost her voice due to years of, of speaking, and, excuse me, of smoking. And she had a very raspy voice. She had a very uh, uh, a voice with a lot of coughing to it. And Steven Spielberg was making a movie called E.T., and he needed the voice for the little E.T. character in there. And all the voice actors in Hollywood, he couldn't find anyone that he said, that's the voice of E.T. 
So he had a technician that was at the laundromat where Ms. Welsh was doing her laundry ad, and he heard her talking and coughing, and he went over to her and gave her his card, and fortunately, she believed him. He said, I work for Steven Spielberg. I think you're who we're looking for, and the rest is history. We all know her voice, E.T., you know, we, we just know that voice, and every once in a while, somebody will say that in, in humor to one another. God has given you a voice, but here's the thing you need to know. God has a voice himself. God's voice called all that we know into existence. God's voice called all the universe, the multiverses, everything that is there. God called them all into existence, but God created you and I, and he breathed into us. That's what the word inspiration means. He breathed into us, and we became living souls. Now, because of God's voice, now listen, this is important. You have a unique voice. You have unique people you're going to encounter. You have a unique ministry. You have a unique way that you're going to serve that no one else can fill your role. It doesn't mean that you or I are irreplaceable. It just simply means that God has given each of us a voice, and if we don't do that, it won't get done. The doctrine of the of the authority of the scripture, or sola scriptura, as the reformers referred to it, was one of the great gifts of the Protestant Reformation to the church globally. And that was that the Bible is the voice of God. It's the word of God. That the Bible is the authority of God. It, it delivered us from a period of corruption where the church was the authority of God. and delivered us to that place, that wonderful place, where the Bible is the voice of God. And so God gives to each of us the ability to read our Bibles, each of us the ability to learn how to apply our Bibles into our lives. It's one of the reasons why we gather for weekly worship. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And I want to read to you from Psalms 119 and 105, because you'll never find your true voice until you know the purpose for which God has created you for. And this is what the word of the Lord says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Would you read that with me? Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Father, in the next few minutes, I ask you to speak deep, deep into our souls. That place where the psalmist said, deep calls unto deep. Lord, help us to discover not only our true north, but help us to discover our voice, Lord, the voice you've given us as we go through this series of messages together. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Sometimes I think it's good for us to just remind ourselves of how privileged and how blessed we are today. There was a time in life where People didn't have access to the Bible the way you and I had it. In the days of the early church, there wasn't a Bible in every home. Every person didn't have a Bible. As a matter of fact, at the time of the Reformation, the cost of a Bible was about the cost of a middle-sized home today. A church only had one Bible, usually, if it had a complete Bible, and they passed around the letters. When Becky and I are privileged to go to a synagogue service with our Jewish friends, I've always been impressed with how reverently they treat the Torah. They bring it out, it's wrapped up, they kiss it, 
they open it. They won't even touch it. They use a pointer as they read through the scriptures. And I sit there sometime, and though I don't know Hebrew, I have an English translation, courtesy of my friends, of what's being read and what's taking place. And I worship on those Saturdays, those Friday evening services. I worship with them, and I give God thanks as I worship. And sometimes I'm convicted by how casually we treat the Word of God and how we neglect the Word of the Lord. Of course, they're reading the Hebrew Bible. Well, what you may not know was when you saw this beautiful map that Micah had up here just a few moments ago, there was a time in history about the middle of that 400-year period, 400 years of silence, 400 years where because of the sins of Israel, and if you remember, we dealt with this going through the book of Ezekiel, where the Holy Spirit, because God would no longer dwell with Israel because of their sins and their idolatry and the unspeakable things that were even happening in the temple, the Holy Spirit had departed from Israel and they went into the, what we call the exile. And it was a time of grief. It was a time of heartbreaking issues. And when you read the Bible and you get to the book of Daniel, Daniel, most scholars believe, should really come at the end of our, of our Bibles. Our Bi Old Testaments are identical to the Jewish Bible. They, they use the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Our Bibles are identical, but they kind of line them up a little differently. There's the Torah, or the law, there's the writings, there's the prophets, there's the wisdom literature. You and I, well, we've, we did them a little differently in our English translations and the church when the canon was put together. And so Daniel, nobody really knew what to do with Daniel. So Daniel, because he was a prophet, was put in the prophets, but he was put right before those minor prophets and what we call the minor prophets. And nobody really knows, but Daniel really belongs at the end because Daniel is written during the exile. That's why you read verses in Daniel like, pray for the city, you know? It's why Daniel, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, could, could serve God faithfully but serve this pagan king. It's why the three Hebrew children could serve God faithfully but they could serve this pagan king. Let it never be said that a Christian can't be a sterling example of vocational success and integrity in a world that no longer loves and serves God. But after this time in history where the Holy Spirit had departed, there was this 400 years of silence. There is a man named Alexander the Great that arises in the world. Now, God doesn't cause evil, but when the Holy Spirit withdraws his hand from your life, and when the Holy Spirit says, chooses to honor what people choose to do in sin and rebellion against God, God will let them experience the consequences of that, and God will even direct those consequences to work for our good and for his glory. So Alexander conquered a wide swath from, Asia, from, from Europe all the way to the Far East, much wider than the map, Micah, you had up on the screen. And because, even though he died an early death, he established fortresses and businesses, Everybody wanted to learn to speak Greek. Koine Greek was the common language of the day. 
And it's why the Septuagint or the Old Testament, that's the, sometimes if you ever read a book and you see LXX, that means the Septuagint. That's why the Old Testament was translated into Koine Greek because even a lot of Jewish people could no longer speak Hebrew and especially the common world needed the Bible. Well, Jesus came along and Jesus preached from the Old Testament. The church loved the Old Testament. They, they preached from, and it was in Koine Greek. And so Jesus preached and taught in Koine Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. And, and so we have our Bible today. You heard Micah say a few minutes ago, he's going to be teaching English as well among the many things he's going to do in, in the Ukraine. We've heard that numbers of times from this pulpit because Missionaries know that one of the ways we can get into countries that aren't quite as open to the gospel is we can teach English as a, as a second language because English is the Koine Greek of our day. People, whether they're in Asia or people, whether they're in the islands or Europe or Africa, they want to learn to speak English because most of the world's economy is conducted in English. And so no matter where we've gone, and Becky leaned over to me just now and says, have we been to Ukraine? I said, I believe so. And I was running through my memory banks real quick to try to remember all the places we'd been. And, 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 but one of the things, I, I've been to all these nations, and I don't speak English very well. But I've been able to go to these languages. I'm able to order in restaurants. I'm able to do whatever I want to do because people speak English. Well, that was the Koine Greek of the day, and God, even though he was a vicious conqueror, God used the exploits of Alexander the Great to get the word of God out. You need to know this, and I didn't have time to tell the first services this morning. God is always in control. True north will never change, and the word of God will never change. And even when people close their hearts, close their minds, close their homes, close their businesses, close their nations to God, you cannot stop the Spirit of God. When the bamboo curtain came down in China, the, chi the church in China was thriving and growing. When the iron curtain came down, it was because so many Christians, I, I've stood on the rooftop uh, looking out over where Vaclav Havel spoke, and so many Christians that I met and worshiped with in the Czech Republic, and, and just recently being in Bulgaria, talking to people, how they prayed for that time. Fyodor Dostoevsky, and I can never say his name right, he said, we have never truly breathed air nor seen light until we have breathed in the God-inspired Bible and the Word, the world and the Bible's light. What's he saying? Breathe in. The voice of God is his breath. The voice of God is his word. It's why we say the Bible is inspired. That's what the writers of the Bible meant when they said that the Bible, the scriptures are inspired. God breathed out. We breathe in. Remember just a moment ago I told you God created us. He created everything with his voice, but he created us and that he breathed into us his voice. I love the voice of God. I listen to it as I read the scriptures in the morning. Uh, the day before yesterday, I was reading a verse of scripture, and it just exploded in my heart. And I called a friend of mine with cancer, and I said, I know this verse is for you, but please, please tell me if I'm wrong. And I could hear them begin crying on the end of the line, and they had the phone on speaker, and their wife he says, that's exactly what we've read. God spoke. It's God's voice, and they just needed a confirmation. You breathe in the word of God, and when you breathe in the word of God, you not only breathe in life, you breathe in health, you breathe in peace, and you become the overcomer that Christ called you to be. 
Each of us have a unique voice. I told you that just a moment ago. Your voice is as unique as your thumbprint. Your voice is as unique as your heartbeat. After church, one of the ladies in our church was talking, about her, me, talking to me about her investment account, and she says, my investment account uses my voice. When I call, she says, I, the way I log into my account is not with a password, it's not with a thumbprint, but I log in with my voice. This lady's very sophisticated. She understands finances and investments and all this kind of stuff, but it's her voice that gets her in. A few months ago, Becky had laryngitis. That was a good day. All she could do was agree with me. I would say something, and she'd just look at me, and i go, that's a nod, right? You know, that's agreement, right? And I'll pay for that later this afternoon. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. But by the end of the day, I missed hearing her voice. I wanted to hear her talk. I wanted to hear words from her like, I love you. I wanted just to have conversation with her. But her voice was gone for that day and most of the next part of the next day. Sometimes I'm trying to express things to Becky, and, and I have to work with words. It's, it just doesn't come naturally to me to speak or to, to write. I just have to work at it. But I, I find that one of the reasons that I want to work with words well is because love always looks for the right words to express itself. Love always is looking for the right words, the correct words. I, I watch it at Valentine's Day when I slip in like every other man does into the Hallmark store, and every guy's reading, looking for the right card to express it himself. He wants to find the right voice. It's why Israel loved the Bible so much is because it was the voice of God speaking to them. Oh, when I read the Psalms, sometimes I go, oh, that I could write like David. Sometimes when I read Daniel, that I could preach like Daniel preached. But sometimes I'm just as inept as Mr. E equals MC square was. Remember Albert Einstein? Brilliant mind, but not very good with words. This is how he proposed to his wife. If only you were with me. We understand so well each other's soul and also drinking coffee and eating sausages. What a way to propose. Would you spend the rest of your life drinking coffee and eating sausages with me? I mean, what a lovely life to imagine. It's what every woman wants to hear. Evidently, it was what his wife wanted to hear. It would be unbearably, unspeakably painful for me to never hear my wife's voice again. It's why it's so important we learn, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love and grow in every way more and more like Christ. I can't emphasize that enough, especially if we're going to share our faith, especially if you're a preacher, especially if you're a Bible study leader, a small group leader. If you're a Christian, it's important that you mature, but as you grow and you learn, you learn how to speak the truth in love. You see, the authority of the Bible was affirmed by Jesus. That's why Israel loves the Bible so much is because when they listen to the Scriptures read, they're hearing the voice of God. When I ask you to stand for the first verse that we read each Sunday, it's because I want you to reverence and respect the Word of the Lord. The early church would stand for the entire sermon, and the sermon sometimes could be three and four hours long. 
One time, Constantine wearied. Do you remember the emperor that lifted the, the laws against persecution of Christians? Constantine began to weary while the gospel was being preached. And one of his attendants said to him, my Lord, please be seated. You are tired. And he looked at him and says, nay, but it is wickedness to sit down at the preaching of the word of God. You see, the authority of the Bible is the shorthand for the authority of God. The Bible is not God, but it's God's voice. Micah's heading to the Ukraine. If I were the ambassador to the Ukraine, then I would be the voice of the president to the president or whoever else I spoke to, to the entire nation of Ukraine. If I did not represent the president well, I would break faith with the president and give to the people of Ukraine and his leaders and it's people, false information, maybe false hope, or maybe a false warning, because I'm no longer speaking the truth, and especially speaking the truth in love. That's the reason Constantine would say, nay, it's wickedness. Pay attention to what God's word says. You see, back in those days, as I reminded you again, those Bibles were so expensive, and yet you and I, we have them on our devices. We have multiple Bibles in our home. Uh, why? You can just pick out, if you want a Patriot's Bible, if you want a woman's Bible, if you want a men's Bible, a gardener's Bible, if you want an ecology Bible, I am amazed at how many people are trying to market the Bible off of personal interest. The best thing I ever did was have my devotions out of a Bible without any notes and just read and think and make notes upon the word of the Lord. Jesus loved the Bible. And he said, you know, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. In Matthew 5, 17, he says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus, now listen, was the word of God. Jesus was God's breath. Jesus became a living soul. He became a man. He was still God, but he became a man. And that's the reason, that powerful imagery of when Jesus breathed upon them and says, receive you the Holy Spirit. It's no coincidence that he's called the word of God because you will never find your true north. You will never find your compass. You will never find your inner purpose until you first Know who Jesus Christ is and surrender your life to him. The reason the Bible is authoritative is because it was breathed out by God. The reason it's authoritative is because Jesus himself came and fulfilled the purpose of it. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul's writing this to Timothy to teach the congregation all scripture. And at that time, he's writing about the Old Testament. And then later, Peter will write that the writings of Paul are scripture as well. This is a powerful, beautiful story of how we got our Bibles, but that's for another time. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Don't you love that? Do you know how secure I feel when I read the Bible? My boys, they learned as they went through those woods to stay on track with the company. It was important. I said, you've got to stay on track. But if you get lost, whistle, I will come. And sometimes I've gotten lost, and sometimes I've gotten turned around, and all I've had to do is cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And he's always been there. You can rest assured of this. If you miss the voice of God, God has not given up on you. He knows where you're at. He's waiting on you to call out for him. 
And that's important to know about living confidently with true north. And the reason this is so important is because you're not an accident. This world is not an accident. But the Bible is God's story of our world and of you and of me. And if you know the story of God, if you know the story that God is telling, then you find your true north. You find your inner purpose. You stay on target. You may get off track from time to time, but he's a good shepherd. He will keep. You, you see, my first year, I was more worried about backsliding than I was serving Jesus. I mean, that's just the kind of mentality that... Unfortunately, I had. I was more worried about losing my faith, about backsliding. It took me quite a few years to discover he's a good shepherd. With his rod and his staff, he does comfort me. He will go find me. He will pull me back on the path. Aren't you grateful for that? He's a good shepherd, but he uses his word. I don't know if you remember. As a friend of mine told me yesterday, the fact that you told me doesn't mean that I remember so let me just go back to a series of messages I did on postmodernism and the fact there that we talked about that postmodernists say there's no grand story. There's no overarching meta-narrative. But God begs to differ. There is a story. There is a grand story. And the Bible tells us our story. And you don't know your story till you know the Bible. Postmodernism and says it's all random. It's, it's just every, all the bad things that happen in life, it's just an accident. Life is an accident. The universe is an accident. But the Bible tells us the story of creation. The Bible tells us how everything came together. And the Bible says that when God made everything, the world was good. The world was good. And when he made us, it was very good. You know, I call some of my family, Friday, Saturday was such beautiful days, and I wrote this line down for my sermon, and then I got up this morning and says, Lord, I'm almost good in mind not to use this line. But Friday and Saturday, the, the leaves are just beginning to have a little bit of color. The weather was perfect. I called my family in Georgia, where it was 90 degrees, and was bragging on our weather, and says, God loves Michigan in October. <laughs> I don't know about January, but he loves Michigan in October. We've got our leaf drives, our leaf tours. We've got our lake tours. We, we get apple cider and donuts. Those are gifts of the Holy Spirit to us. And we enjoy autumn in Michigan. People flock here because they want to see our leaves. Yeah, we see something that whispers to a far grander story of what it must have been like. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then he tells us the story of what went wrong in our lives. can kind of look at these like chapters in a book. He, he tells us the story of what went wrong. This world is not as it should be. In Genesis 3 through 11, I can remember hearing those stories as a child and how painful they were as sin entered into the world and brother slew brother and you just knew things were not right. One of the saddest verses of Scripture is when one of Adam and Eve's grandsons, one day Lamech, said to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice, listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. And then he will go on. You can see how sin is corrupting the entire, has corrupted the entire human race and how much more punishment he's going to heap out upon somebody else. And you know, the story basically still hasn't changed. And when the Jews read this story, let's go all the way back to the days of Moses when they read these stories, 
They understood. People were worshiping the sun. That's what Pharaoh was. He was supposed to be an incarnation of the sun. There was infanticide in the days of, of Alexander when the Septuagint was spreading. The Bible was such good news to those who could get a copy and read it, to those who could get to a synagogue and hear it. The Bible was such good news because most of the time, if you said worship, people thought about a temple where there was prostitution going on. You thought about infanticide where if a baby wasn't born healthy, you just took the baby to the dump and let the dogs eat it. You talked about human sacrifices. You talked about slavery where people were bought and sold and treated so cruelly and a man could kill a slave if he wanted to. And where the idea of Hebrew slavery was, if, if you couldn't pay your debts, then somebody, if the longest they could be indentured for was for seven years. And it was totally different, a very merciful way. It was still not what God wanted, but it was a much more merciful and different way. It wasn't the slavery, the greed and wickedness and violence made it. But you see, when you read the story in our world today, these bad things that happen, whether it's Alexander burning villages and killing people, or whether it's Nimrod building the Tower of Babel, or whether it's Hitler committing the atrocities, of it's, those aren't accidents. I mean, those aren't things with purpose. Those are just accidents. Those are just things that there's no purpose for, and therefore there's no purpose for the good you have in your life, and there's no purpose for the bad that happens in life. So let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. But the second chapter tells us that this world was not only designed with a purpose, there was something that happened in this world that broke it, that hurt it, and God didn't give up, and that's the story of Israel. You see, look at me. You have to love the Jewish people. You have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You have to pray for our friends, Israelis, just like you pray for everybody else because the Jews gave us the gift, as Paul said, of the Scriptures. The Jews gave us the Messiah. We have to remember that. You see, the story of Abraham being called so many centuries ago is the story of God not giving up. God calls this pagan out of Ur of Chaldees. He responds to him, and God says, I am going to create a nation out of your seed, and I am going to use that nation to reclaim and to bring the world back to myself. When you read the story of our redemption, when you sing a song about redemption, Redeemed. When you sing a song about salvation, you're singing the fulfillment of what God promised Abraham when his seed crushed the head of the serpent on the cross of Calvary. That's why the story of Israel is so important to us, because God said, I will use it to reclaim and bring the world back to myself. Isaiah 44, 2, the Lord says to Israel, the Lord who made you and helps you says, do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. And God says that to you and me today because as Christians, we know that we are the seed of Abraham by faith as well. Now, I know that sometimes when I go here, people get, well, yeah, but what about the law? You see, there's the ceremonial law, and it points us to Jesus. There's no need for sacrifices anymore because when Christ suffered for our sins at Calvary and died and was buried, he, he crushed the head of the serpent as he rose on Easter Day. When I took communion just a few minutes ago, there were several of you and some online and some that in our church I was praying for and just asking God to touch because he not only bore our sins, but he bore our sicknesses to the cross. He has conquered that. Jesus healed people. 
And so the ceremonial law, those sacrifices pointed us to Christ. Secondly, and the scriptures to go along with this on your outline, I'm trying to, to, to kind of hurry along here, but the civil law was for daily life in Israel. The civil law was for how we will live our lives because Israel didn't have a constitution. They didn't have a bill of rights. God was interested in their hearts. God was interested in people learning how to love one another. And so I know there's some strange laws in there, but you need to know this. Our nation's laws, and in times past, most of Europe's laws and Great Britain's laws, they were built upon the Old Testament civil law because they taught us how to live together. They taught us how to work together. They taught us how to come together. And there are some in there that, you know, they're not for us to observe anymore. I mean, it's fine if you do, but you, you know, if you want to eat shrimp, you can. If you want to eat a catfish, you can. I don't know why you would, but you can. <laughs> I'm struggling not to say what I want to say right there, but just, you can. But there are other laws we look at and say, what's that all about? Where God says to the olive orchard owner, he says, don't beat your olive trees more than once. What's that all about? Well, he's teaching Israel how to have a heart for the poor. And let the poor come along. You don't, you're not just giving out free stuff, but the poor can come along then, and they can get the gleanings. They can beat the olive trees and get olives for themselves. They're learning how to take care of themselves. But the society had to be built upon a law where you didn't grab all you can and can all you got. Does that make sense? And if the littlest will say, well, I'm growing fig trees or peach trees or apple trees, it's still the same law. You know, leave the gleanings. It's why the Bible says, if you lend anything to your neighbor, do not enter his house to pick up the item. He's given his security. You must wait outside while he goes in and brings it out to you. For instance, some people were so poor. Listen, some people were so poor, the only thing they had was their coat. Their coat was their blanket as well. And some people were so greedy that if they loaned the man enough money or enough corn or whatever they ate to feed his family, for the, they said, now give me your coat. And oftentimes the family would all sleep under the same blanket. And this man would take the coat. The law forbid that. In other cultures, that's just what you did. But the law forbade that. It was a compassionate law. The moral law revealed God's will and his nature. We see what God is like. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then you get to the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and verse 13. You must not murder. Now, in 1633, I believe it was, there was a misprint of the Bible that caused the printer of the Bible to go to prison. He had to pay a hefty fine to get out of prison because he forgot to put in the type for the Ten Commandments, the word not. It's known as the Wicked Bible. They're very rare, and they're very expensive. So when you read the Ten Commandments, it says, you shall lie, you shall steal, you shall commit adultery. Well, you can understand how important one little word is, not. It's finding the right. The voice changed when that little negative word, not, came out of it. The whole voice changed. The purpose of the law changed. It's why it's important that we study the word so we speak with the voice of God when we speak the Scripture. And probably the most egalitarian statement and one of the most beautiful statements in the New Testament is this. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Wow. Wow. No sexism. 
no racism. You were all one in Christ. And then there's the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. I love this verse of scripture. Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explained from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He took them through the law. He took them through the writings. He took them through the prophets. And he took them through, the, he took them through all of it. And he said, this is how I fulfilled it. Notice that. That's an important word. Just like not's important, the word all is important. He took them through all of it. And he says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. The law shows us the love of God, the nature of God. And then the final chapter of the story is the story of the church. And here's what you need to know. Not only did Jesus love the Old Testament, not only did the church love the Old Testament, but they memorized it. They studied it. They knew how to properly interpret it because Christ had taught the disciples and these disciples taught the other leaders. And, and so they began to teach and mentor one another. They met in small groups. They, they didn't have the copies on their devices. They didn't have the multiple versions of the Bible. They didn't have the, the, he, the, the Jewish Bible and the Roman Bible. And they had just the Word of God. And to read the Bible literally, please hear what I'm saying. To read the Bible literally, people ask me sometimes, are you a literalist? And I go, of course I'm a literalist. But if what you mean by literalist is I take every single word literally. No, I take literally to mean I read the Bible as God intended for it to be read. And that's the reason our gathering to learn and to study like this. You see, when you read it as God intended it to be for read, you don't want to punish your enemies. Remember what I said about Lamech at the beginning of the message? Where did the allies get the idea of rebuilding Germany and rebuilding Japan after the war? MacArthur was begging for missionaries. MacArthur was begging for Bibles for the Japanese. General Marshall was, was begging for more missionaries and for more help. They, they Everything they built the Marshall Plan and what MacArthur was trying to see happen in the Orient was all coming from the word of the Lord. Their writings are filled with why. So the people who were murdering us, the people who were killing us, the people who were attacking us, the people who, who were slaughtering Jews, the people that were a part of that atrocity in life, God says, now that the war is over, forgive them and help them rebuild. How can I do that? You can't do that unless you believe in the authority of the voice of God and that God's voice in you, working through you, will accomplish something very good. And today, we count Japan and Germany not as our enemies, but as our friends. Does that make sense? It's learning how to apply. Stand with me if you would. And let me take you to Ephesians 1, 22 and verse through 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I want you to capture this fact today as we begin to find not just your true north, but a true north for us as a congregation, true north 
for our nation. I believe in global revivals. They've happened in history over and over again. I lived and rejoiced and was one of the first, was quickly able to go and visit countries I never thought in my lifetime that I'd get to go visit, Micah, where you're going to be a missionary at. To sit on rooftops, to go into churches that were opening back up, to talk to university students, Micah, who knew what the symbols were, but they didn't know what they meant. And yet behind the scenes, God was working all things for his glory and his good. And though it doesn't get the press that it deserves, those walls came down, not because Mr. Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, but because there was a persecuted church praying those walls come down. Don't you ever underestimate the power of your prayer. And stop overestimating the power of all the busyness in your life. Stop overestimating all the things that keep you from taking time to hear the word of the Lord. You may be brilliant. You may be like Rosalind Picard, professor at MIT. When she finally agreed to go to church with someone, she says, I was intrigued. I was a captain of my ship, but was it possible God would actually be willing to lead me? After praying, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be Lord of my life. My world changed dramatically as if a flat black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three-dimensional. But I lost nothing of my urge to seek new knowledge. In fact, I felt emboldened to ask even tougher questions about how the world works. She's a scientist. That's what she does. That's what, that's the voice God has given her. So she says, today I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles. I do not have adequate answers to explain all their sufferings, but I know there is a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with all who confess their sins and call upon his name. What's she saying? There's something wrong with the world. But God, who created everything good, has entered our world of sin through Christ, descendant of Israel, to bring his healing, saving power into your life and mine. She said, I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to do. Today I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion anyone could ask for, filled with desire to keep learning and exploring. Did you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, I don't know who's listening today. I know almost everyone in this room right now, but I just want to give them an opportunity to acknowledge these simple five chapters of a story. God, they're not an accident. Their life is good. 
their life like mine and like Miss Picard's, Professor Picard's has been broken by sin. And we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the Bible that Jesus fulfilled and lived out and now has breathed out his Holy Spirit to inhabit our hearts and lives. And we join with all of those for the last 2,000 years who confessed their sins and said, Jesus Christ is Lord. So if that's you, would you just pray this with me right now? Say, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me from my sins. I don't understand it all, but I give you my heart and life in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you did that, I promise you, God heard you, God saved you, God forgive you of your sins. Pastor Corey's going to come and he's going to share just a little bit about how you can get some more information from our church to help you grow. Won't cost you anything. I love you. God bless you. You can be seated while Pastor Corey comes to dismiss us. Thank you, Pastor. If you prayed that prayer, we have a book that we'd love to send you free of charge, no cost, that's going to help you in your next steps and grow in your faith and understand the decision that you made. And so if you would email us at info at woodland.church and let us know you prayed that prayer, we'd be glad to send it to you. And if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, just stop by our booth called The Crossing and ask for that book. We'd be glad to give it to you. It's going to help you and grow and understand the decision that you made. Well, thank you so much for joining with us today. And as you get ready to go, don't forget to turn in those communication cards and to give today. You can place your offering in the offering baskets. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.